0: It was a snake that started it all, you know, the serpent who cost us all our place in paradise and drove us out into the wilderness. Another snake was used to help me understand. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the teacher told me once, when I had gone to him by night, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, standing at the foot of this cross. I see now what he meant. Perhaps I should have known before. I am regarded, after all, as a teacher in Israel. You don't know much about me, but the people of Jerusalem did. I was born into one of the most prominent and wealthiest families in the holy city. My father was a strong and influential man. That is how we got to where we were. And I, his favored son, Nicodemus, well, I was not what my father wanted me to be. He tried to make me strong. If I were to become influential, I needed to have status in the religious life of my people. You must become a Pharisee, he said. And I did. And with his money behind me, we must get you elected to the Sanhedrin. And I was. But in all truthfulness, I was nothing like him. Strong-willed, powerful, outspoken, and a leader. No truth is that I avoided any Any way possible, any conflict or confrontation. I found my security in just going along with the crowd. And as I now stand here in this crowd, at the foot of this cross, I know who I am. I know what I am a coward. I had the power and the influence, I had the voice. The opportunity to speak. I could have stopped the crucifixion. At least I could have tried. But they were like snakes in the grass. It was three in the morning when they called the dead of night. Word came by messenger already winded from running up and down the streets of Jerusalem. A special meeting of the council. The Sanhedrin he cried and off he ran. But that was illegal, and they knew it. We are not allowed to meet at such an hour. What could be so important to breach the rules like this? I would object, I told myself, as I went rushing in. And then I saw him, Jesus, standing there with his hands bound. Where were his followers? I recognized him, of course, the teacher. I had seen him before. Once, as a matter of fact, I realized it was something of an uncharacteristic moment for me when soldiers had been sent to bring him to the council, and they came back empty-handed. I did, in a way, speak up for him. "'Does our law judge a man before it hears him?' I asked. They turned and snarled at me, "'Are you a Galilean, too?' That was enough. It stopped me cold. I feared saying anything more. So now, before this illegal session, there was no way I was going to speak. No way. They already knew what they wanted, death. And they would have their way. I watched and listened as Caiaphas, acting less like God's high priest and more like some crazed maniac, kept charging, kept probing, kept asking, accusing, searching for some way, some opening, someone to testify. But to no avail. Until, in desperation, Caiaphas faced Jesus head on. Calling a halt to everything, he cried out, This is enough! There is really only one question to be answered. And he faced Jesus, said, Answer me under oath to the supreme God of Israel, and tell us, Are you the Son of God as you have claimed? The silence was heavy, as if it were waiting to crack under its own weight. For if he answered yes, He would die as a blasphemer. They waited. Into the silence he proclaimed. I am. Caiaphas, like a man out of his mind, tore at his robe, ripping at the hem. Sign of unbearable grief and horror. Crying out, blasphemy, blasphemy. You heard him. What more witness do you need? He is guilty. He needs to be put to death. I heard it. And said not a word. I was frozen with fear at what was happening. I was frozen with a coward's fear. But no more. Today I will become a poor man among my people. Today I will become an outcast. Once they hear that I have accepted him. Once they know that I believe in him. Son of God. Savior. They will cast me out and try to destroy me too. But here, at the foot of this cross, the picture has become clear. As I looked up at him hanging there upon the cross, his words came rushing back to me. That night, over a year ago, under the cover of darkness, I crept up to his rooftop to talk to him. I had heard so much about him. It puzzled me, and I had to know. He sounded like one of God, but what did that mean? And what did he mean when he spoke to me? Born again? water spirit some things he said have now become quite visible to me as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up and that glorious promise for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I once was blind, but now I see. And what I see is how foolish I was to cringe here in pain over my cowardice for not stopping the crucifixion. He did not want me to stop that crucifixion. And all who believe in him, that the world might be saved through him. I am still ashamed of my cowardice, but a coward I am no more. I will not slither like a serpent with my brother Joseph. We will claim his body, carry him down, anoint him, and place him in the tomb. His words still echo hope. I am the resurrection and the life. I go to prepare a place for you. The time for silence is over. The time for fear and cowardice done for such he died. Now is the time to speak. What you have seen in secret, proclaim openly, he said. I call on him once in secret, once in the darkness and fear, in arrogance and ignorance, my ignorance. You must be born again, he said, of water and the spirit born again. I am, that is why I am bold to speak. The serpent will not have the final word.
1: few verses from Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So since we get to hear from and about Nicodemus again this Sunday which was just the way our midweek plans coincided with our Sunday morning lectionary this time around. I'm not going to talk so much about the way Nicodemus connected those snakes for us tonight. The snake of sin in the Garden of Eden, the snakes in the wilderness of the Exodus, and the one snake Moses lifted up on a pole for all of Israel to see. We'll hear that story from the book of Numbers on Sunday two I want to talk instead about the thing with Nicodemus that always gets my attention and gets me thinking, which is the notion that he came to Jesus by night that first time they met. This leader of the Jews, this teacher of Israel, this Pharisee of high regard and high esteem and high favor as far as his people were concerned. He takes it upon himself to seek out and to find this Jesus he'd heard some things about, and about whom he wanted to know more. How can someone be born again? He asked. Be born from above. Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? How can these things be? I like that about Nicodemus, because even though he called himself a coward tonight, it took some measure of courage, I think, actually, to go after Jesus like he did that first time they met. It took some measure of humility, too, to ask questions of this traveling teacher from Galilee, to respectfully call him rabbi, and to believe that Jesus had something to teach him, a man of Nicodemus' stature and station in the world. It took a measure of faith in and of itself to be as curious as Nicodemus seemed to be about what this Jesus had been up to until they met, calling his disciples to follow him, turning water into wine at some wedding in Cana of Galilee, turning over tables in the temple, and who knows, What else Nicodemus had heard about Jesus through that first century rumor mill. But again, Nicodemus does all of this, comes to Jesus by night, under cover of darkness. Presumably when he wouldn't be seen or caught by his fellow Pharisees, who wouldn't have been too hip to one of their own, making nice and spending time with this troublemaker from the countryside. Well, we're all supposed to be spending more time with this troublemaker from the countryside during these Lenten days, right? All of this is about being more deliberate and more diligent about how our faith and our life come together. Lent is about looking hard at the way sin is too much a part of our lives and about what we can do to change that. It's about longing for the faith to believe even when we can't or don't or won't change the nature of our sinfulness that God already has. And so we don't have to be afraid of the dark any longer. Maybe, in fact, we can be just fine in the dark, get comfortable in the dark, use the darkness like Nicodemus did to our advantage for cover for safety, for our benefit and blessing, even. That's why I like this bit from the 139th Psalm, where we hear some different questions, rhetorical questions, this time. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Because the answer is nowhere, right? Right? We can ascend to heaven. We can go down to Sheol, wherever that is. We can fly out to the farthest limits of the sea. We can turn out the lights and we can hide under the covers and we can pretend all we want that God can't or God won't or God doesn't find us there. But like Jesus did for Nicodemus, God can and God will and God does find us, and love us, even in, maybe especially in, the darkness. Darkness can be a place where secrets are shared and kept. Darkness can be a place where stillness settles in and where peace finally rests. Darkness can be a place where confessions are made and where forgiveness comes Darkness can be a place where some like Nicodemus might feel as safe as ever for a lot of reasons, known only to them. So what if in what's left of our Lenten walk this time around, we get comfortable in the dark? Use the darkness, I mean. The darkness of the very early morning or the darkness of the nighttime, too. Turn off our cell phones and our night lights and our alarm clocks. Close the blinds. Cover up all those little red and green lights that let you know every time you turn around that some electronic device somewhere is waiting for you to give it some attention. It's actually hard to find real darkness these days. But let's do like Nicodemus. And let's spend some time with Jesus under cover of darkness. Asking. Listening. Confessing. Receiving. Longing. Because the cross ahead of us, the cross that waits for us in all of this, reminds us that there is never anything too dark or too scary or too sinful, or to anything for Jesus. In the shadow of that cross, even our darkness is like light to the God who meets us there.
0: Amen.